0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Uh, this is an outtake episode, which means I had uh, a conversation uh, on the air, <laughs> on the record, with uh, Jeremy Lee, Sports Cards Live. Always enjoy that. I've been on a couple times now. And I think he does an excellent job of uh, asking questions. And uh, I think, well, gee, I, I should have put that, I should have discussed that on my podcast. In some cases, I already did, but he was able to draw something else out in the way he approached it. So again, hats off to Jeremy. Strongly recommend that you check out Sports Cards Live. It's on uh, YouTube. Uh, It's very visual. Lots of uh, uh, chat and uh, interaction normally. Really enjoyed that. But thanks, sponsors. Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So uh, thank you, sponsors. Thank you, Jeremy. Here's uh more than a snippet, it's enough to be a full episode. Uh, the topics uh, range a little bit, but I, th- I think you'll enjoy. And again, check out the whole, uh, check out all of Jeremy's stuff. He, he's good. So thanks and enjoy.
1: The number one event uh, that happened in 2020 that you think really sticks out? It
0: would have been Kobe, except that when COVID hit, it, it changed everything. So I'd have to say COVID. All COVID. the
1: implications of the COVID, the
0: brief slip and a period of uncertainty for a couple of weeks, and then it just took off like a rocket. So a lot of the other things that you and I have talked about and that other people are contemplating basically, I think, came as a result of the COVID, which changed the way we consider sports and consider sports cards.
1: Certainly is. We, we had Kobe die January 26th. We saw a run-up on his cards. And then we saw them settle down. And then we we found out that the last dance was going to air early because of COVID, because of the cancellation of sports. We had the last dance and we saw a run up. And we haven't looked back ever since. That few weeks of uncertainty, as I recall, was the last two weeks of March, first week of April. And since then, the hobby's just gone crazy. And all that considering there's been a couple of card shows here and there, but there was no national for the first time in 30 years. What do you think the impact of that's been?
0: The national organizers would like to think it's a negative impact, but it hadn't had an impact on the hobby at large, but a lot of disappointment. This is a a hobby where people really enjoy getting together, and even though social media and other ways to get together virtually, nothing beats getting together in person, and so that's a a once-a-year opportunity for me to see people I, I rarely see, and I missed it, but the show went on, and prices marched upward, so it's been an amazing year.
1: Certainly has been. Along with the little bit of uncertainty at the end of March, speaking of April, we also at that exact time saw the beginning of the TOPS Project 2020, which made a big splash. We saw card values skyrocket very temporarily. They were very high for a short amount of time and then they came back down to earth. When at the outset of that, and when I first started picking up a few cards, I thought to myself, what a wonderful opportunity to bring in art lovers into the hobby. Because these 20 artists, they each have pretty much at least 100,000 followers on their socials. And I thought, what a great way to to expand the hobby. I I, I wonder if that happened. Did we gain new collectors through the fans of these artists? Or did these artists simply gain more fans through sports cards? Any insights into that?
0: Uh, All the above, Jeremy. I think that uh, when that came out, it was fresh. It was new. It did add... New Collectors. It energized some former collectors and current collectors. And as you're trying to do, I'm trying to do, all these different podcasts and content creators are trying to help people understand this industry. It's a little bit complicated. And TOPS Project 2020, it started off slow and people thought, what is this? And then all of a sudden it took off. And then people jumped in with more than both feet and then it cooled off again. And so they were on a roller coaster, but that's the new sports card hobby where things move fast. And so they got an education this year that Project 2020 didn't get more and more golden as it increased. There was a peak, and then it dropped off a little bit. But still, net, it was huge news and a big positive for TOPS.
1: Yeah, no doubt. It, it created so much excitement for so much time. And my hope is that we did capture some new individuals into the hobby through the the followings that these wicked artists did have. There's some, there's some really sure. great artists and they're young. These are young artists with, with plenty I'm of sure reach. I'm sure
0: we did. I'm sure we did. And that that really led into some of these uh, other things that we can talk about. Some of the celebrity interest and mainstream interest that fed into that because it wasn't about world record prices. It was about a, a very high end and classy way to take what most people thought was the old-fashioned baseball card and modernize it with these artists who were super creative. And uh, I I thought it was very impressive.
1: You mentioned celebrity involvement. Maybe we should start by talking about StarStock. It's a new buying and selling platform. It focuses on rookie cards, mostly the commodity type of rookie cards. So it's not quite as broad. It's not a, a, a Com C, if you will, where Com C holds all the cards under the sun. StarStock has a very specific portfolio of cards that they offer. But they've made a splash. They're all over social media. There's a lot of big fans. And they've had investment now from two pretty big names in the hobby. One athlete, one social media influencer, or his brother. So we're talking about Kevin Durant and AJ Vaynerchuk, brother to Gary Vaynerchuk. Vaynerchuk. What do you think of that? How important was it that Starstock Number One announced the capital raise, but also announced who the big contributors were and their celebrity status?
0: That's the way the world works now. In social media, you need something that's uh, worthy of going viral and, and getting some buzz. And so, certainly, those investors got the attention of a wide stream and it got, got mainstream attention. My curious thought, though, Jeremy, about Starstock is that do you think they wish they would have launched in uh, the year before? because there was so much stuff going on this year and they jumped out and they had an exciting new platform, but there's an awful lot of stuff going on. Now, rookie cards have always been strong and they've been exceptionally strong this year. But so this infusion of of capital that was uh, earlier this month was, I think was refreshing, it was further affirmation that our category is not just hot, but it's future hot as people are voting with their dollars for the infrastructure of our hobby. So yeah, I, I think it's a big positive and I hope they do well.
1: Your question about, do you think Starstock wished they launched in 2019? Yeah, I, I think they did. I believe their official launch was November 2019, but it, you know, takes some time to get their feet under them. But yeah, if they could have launched a year before, I think they would have been, benefited from the year that just was for sure. Fractional ownership companies, we've seen these guys also appear and really grab the hobby's attention in a ferocious sort of manner. And we talk about celebrity involvement. I know that the fractional ownership company Collectible, whose CEO was on this show a few months ago, they've got involvement with Emmett Smith, another big name who's involved, I believe, from um, a marketing perspective, maybe even an, an investment perspective. So like you said, it's the way of the world right now. And I'd like to see athletes being involved because their social reach is humongous. If their fans see these guys involved in sports cards, I can see that helping our hobby go really mainstream to a point where every sports fan who has some extra money is collecting cards. Can you see us getting there?
0: I think tip of the iceberg with these fractional situations. I mean, there's no bounds to it if it really catches on. My curious concern here is the branding of these entities. There's new groups coming in, and they don't have to have deep pockets. They just have to have a lot of friends. (laughs) When they announce that they're putting uh, some high-end collectible into their system, they've got to sell it out. And that seems to be not the problem. A year from now, when we're looking at five or six of these fractional groups, what's going to recommend one over the other than the items. I don't know that you're going to be loyal to a fractional group as much as you're going to be looking to participate in the next Wagner or the next Mickey Mantle 52 Tops nine grade. I don't know how you brand it, but I think it's something that's here to stay. And the bigger ones are going to be successful because they can spread out their overhead and have a lot more marketing muscle. So I, I think it's an exciting development. In fact, grading was was an exciting development uh, 25 years ago, breaking around more than 10 years was a major game changer. I think fractional We wouldn't be seeing all these million dollar cards. We wouldn't be seeing these multi-thousand dollar cases if it weren't for if it wasn't for breaking. So I think it's a game changer.
1: Yeah, I I do too. And you know what, the fact that We think it's a game changer. I think it's been confirmed now because that's the direction we're going in. Because I just saw, I believe it's Rally, just put out a a piece that uh, they're going to soon be offering a PSA 10 Wayne Gretzky Tops card on their platform. As we know, one of the two just sold at Heritage Auctions earlier this month for $720,000. And now that, I I believe it's the exact same card, is now being offered by Rally. So now we, we know who bought the card and we know it's a fractional. And that, like you just said, we wouldn't be seeing... These multi-million-dollar cards, the very expensive cases. If it weren't for breaking and fractionals, here we go. Okay. They're uh, they're the ones that are bringing the, the top Gretzky to market. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, okay, I think like an entrepreneur. Basically, if I'm rally, do I put that Gretzky card out at a million bucks? I bought it for seven twenty, and I'm going to fractionalize it a million. And I think people are going to say, I'm never going to spend seven hundred twenty thousand dollars or more now if that's the established price. Then I think it's, it's an impossible card. There's there a couple.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it it is impossible. But now when they take it to their market, everybody is going to be able well, everybody in the United States that has a social security number is going to be able to own a piece of it. Now you're not going to be able to hold it. You're not going to have it in your house, show it to your friends, but you're going to be able to know in your own mind and maybe tell your friends that, hey, I own one one thousandth or whatever it is of this card. What What are your thoughts on that? Because there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of critique on the fractional ownership model. People saying that, hey, I collect cards. I don't collect uh, a percentage of a card on, on my screen. I want to hold the cards in my hand. Then there's the other faction that says, that's how I want to invest. That's how I want to get into the sports card game because I'm not a collector. I can't be bothered with eBay, with other buying and selling platforms. I just want to do this. It's an investment to me. And then there's people in the middle, like myself, I collect cards, I'll never stop, but I'm also willing to throw a few hundred bucks at fractional if I was allowed to, I can't because I'm, I'm north of the border, and and just own, own small fractions of these cards, which I would be completely okay with. So it comes down to adoption and acceptance by the hobby as it is right now. If you think there's gonna be resistance, And who cares, these things sell out in minutes or hours anyway. But how long do you think it'll be, take for the hobby to accept the fractionals as just a, a part of the hobby?
0: Okay, here's the interesting sociological experiment that we have now. If that is the same card, then jeremy are you interested in owning a one percent of that card for seven thousand two hundred because that's wow. the deal okay but they have to price it more than that because they're in business so if rally has it they're going to sell let's say a thin margin if they said you can buy uh one tenth of one percent for eight hundred bucks one percent for eight thousand a hundred percent would then, then be eight hundred thousand so then people are going to do that math and say no wait a minute I could have bought it for 720 but now it's being resold immediately and packaged as an 800,000 dollars 900,000 million dollar item and so I think wealthy people are going to do that math and say it's like arbitrage you, you go back and forth and say what seat do I want to be in in this in this rodeo yeah but again net it's fabulous because it's more options and especially on the high end stuff that people once you get above a hundred thousand dollars, you get above ten thousand dollars. It's beyond ninety nine percent of the people's uh, budget.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. First of all, I'd rally they buy a card like that for seven twenty. Any fractional, you buy a card. There, I believe they're entitled to a lift on yeah. it before they fractionalize it. Sure. For sure. I mean, that hobby. Everybody. But it will
0: be visible. People can do the math. Whereas these other cards that they put in, you don't know what they got them for. The collectible group. They've made this deal with Sports Immortals, the Platts. And we don't know what the basis is. This is the first time we can say, okay, that's the same card. This is how that works.
1: Yeah, fair. It's good that we have transparency in that now where they're taking cards from private collectors and bringing them in. And then all you really have are comps and hopefully you have comps and they've based them on fair comps, taken a lift, a fair lift, and moved on from there. This Gretzky card, obviously we know where it came from. You you mentioned would I want to own 1% of this card for $7,200 or $8,000 or whatever it is. The thing is that I I believe you're always going to get a better deal when you buy in bulk. Buying in bulk in this case was buying the card all at once. If you're going to take one piece of it, you're going to pay a bit more because you always get a deal when you buy something in bulk. And that's what buying a card, 100% of a card would now be bulk for that particular card if it's a card that would be a candidate of fractional ownership. But what do you think, Jim? You've been in the hobby a very long time. Do you think collectors are going to just accept it and say, hey, it's a part of the hobby now and it's driving a lot of the values in the hobby? Are are we going to be okay with it as a hobby?
0: You see what is happening, the trends in the industry, there's another trend and that's toward these vaults, which is the kind of the cousin of the fractional. It's owning something without possessing it. So whether you own 1% of it or 100% of it, if you can't show it to somebody because it's in a vault somewhere else, then what does it matter? Uh, but you'd have the digital representation. You can say, hey, I own this or I own 1% of this. So I think pe- that ship, I think is sailed. I think we live in a virtual world where people show their collections and their collections can include stuff that is at the bank. I have some nice cards that are in a bank vault. I know a lot of guys that have that, but I can go get it. But it's a little bit of a headache to go get it. But it's not out of state. I think the fractional, the vaults, all that stuff, people have realized that these are assets worth protecting. And as such, they're going to be treated like some people have fine jewelry that's kept in a safe deposit box or in a safe and only brought out when you need it.
1: I think I'm leaning the same way. The world is changing. The world has changed dramatically in 2020. And the hobby, we got to keep up. And this is a part of it. It's part of the evolution of the hobby. And it isn't necessarily a new thing. There have been people investing uh, together in buckets of sports cards for many years. This has just been uh, formalized under a semi-regulated environment. And hopefully these guys that are running these companies are going to do a bang-up job on it and keep the integrity at that level of the hobby. I think we need it there because well, thats it's these cards that are making headlines.
0: That's the branding that matters. Because all these fractional companies are probably not created equal, and hopefully they're all extremely reputable and have deep enough pockets to to weather cash outs or things that would happen. But that would be the first dis- distinguishing factor is if a fractional group was underfinanced, that, that wouldn't be good. So I want somebody that's got a lot of cards, deep pockets, uh, a lot of staying power. That's why the bigger brands can, but it, it could be within our industry or out in other industries.